0: You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks.
1: And so, what I want to do now, I'm just going to grab this table, and I want to introduce to you uh, our team this morning, who is going to be sharing. So. Uh, Ed, Lauren, Charlene, why don't you come on up here? I'll, I'll maybe get you to grab one of the stools from over there and you can kind of take your place uh, around the table here. Uh, I'll get this one a little later. And so, why don't we give a, a welcome to, to our team here as they're getting there? That sounds like a good thing to do with the space we have. Um, so, let, let me do just a, a few quick uh, introductions. Uh, we have um, so, three therapists from town, who are here to lead us in the conversation on suicide. Uh, and I figured, uh, better, uh, if, if I were to take it, I probably would ruin everything. Uh, and so, uh, we really wanted to have some voices that, that are coming from a place of, uh, maybe as we might hear, their own experiences, uh, but also not simply as professionals, but as, as, as human beings. Uh, Right? And so uh, Charlene O'Reilly is here uh, on the right-hand side, on my right. And then we have Ed Weiss and and Lauren Nutt-Brown, and so I'm going to turn it over to them this morning.
2: Awesome. Thank you, Keith. What an honor it is for us to be here. We are excited. Even though it is a talk on suicide, a lot of you are probably apprehensive. Um, So I wanted to do a little bit of of an intro first before we jump right into this. I want to acknowledge that suicide may be tough for some of you to think about, to talk about, and to hear about. It might have personal connotations or emotional ties. I have no doubt that everybody in this room has been touched by it in some way. And our goal is to perhaps to allow this to be helpful in both understanding and application. And um, maybe we can start by taking a deep breath in <laughs> — we're therapists, we do this um, — deep breath in. And then a deep breath out. All right, we've just self-regulated. This is great. I also want to start acknowledging that there is no singular reason as to why people commit suicide or have suicidal ideation. There are usually numerous or compounding factors, beliefs, and experiences, and everyone's story will be different. And as I was preparing for this and praying for the right approach, I actually felt like the Lord said, we need to talk about who we are as humans, as as Keith mentioned, first as a foundation to understanding all of this, to go back to creation. Humans are, this is a fun word, homo vinculum, meaning the one who bonds. Humans are first and foremost created as social, relational, Bonding species. We are created to reciprocate, exchange, trade, to give and receive with others. We were created for connection. I mean, God did say that it is not good for man to be alone. Additionally, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. At the very heart, or if we're going to want to get science-y, at the very base of every cell, the need for connection shapes us. No cell in our body can operate without interaction with another cell in the system. You physically heal, if you've ever cut yourself, and I'm sure everybody in this room has, you heal when cells bond together. They operate within a system of connections. Connection shapes our neural architecture. It's how we think. Our responses to stress, our everyday emotional lives, Connection shapes the interpersonal dramas and dilemmas that are at the heart of our lives. Bonding is therefore viewed as the most intrinsic, essential survival strategy for human beings. This is most obvious, as you can all probably agree, with babies. They cannot survive without a caregiver. But humans themselves, adults no matter what age we're at, survive only because of shared resources, whether they're physical, emotional, or social. Everything you do involves a reciprocation from someone else. So even being here this morning, think about this, here in church, let's be honest, we're here to connect with each others. No offense, Keith, I don't think we're here for programs. We're here for the people That are helping put on the programs to connect with others within those programs to learn and grow together to worship god and to be together in community we can do this independently and alone if it were just about the program connection is at the heart of it all but connection's not just about physical closeness you can feel lonely in a crowded room and it's not just about social context We're hardwired from birth to seek physical and emotional proximity to special others who are deemed irreplaceable. It's a felt sense. This felt sense is connection with meaning. So think about this. Who do you look to to connect to in moments of threat, risk, pain, or uncertainty, especially now? Who's the first that you call when you want to celebrate something? So for example, physical proximity. Here's a sciencey fact. A 10-second hug can increase feel-good hormones like oxytocin, which causes stress chemicals like cortisol to drop and lower your blood pressure. So keep this consensual, though, OK? Emotional proximity, time with people you care about staves off feelings of loneliness, but it also helps sharpen memory and cognitive skills it increases your sense of happiness and well-being and may even help you live longer. That's emotional proximity. So here's a, you know, like a good question for you, psych pop. You know, if any of you have taken a psych class, who's here has heard of attachment theory? Anyone? Oh, good. Okay. There's a few of you. Excellent. If you've ever been to counseling or attended a relationship workshop or maybe even a psych class, this may have come up. There's a guy named John Bowlby who is a psychologist. And he came up with this term called attachment theory to describe how we as social beings, homo vinculum, attach to one another. The ideal is what they call a secure attachment. So securely attached relationships, they calm the nervous system. They represent physical and mental sense of a safe haven. They provide comfort and reassurance and emotional balance. They provide resiliency for future threats whether they're internal or external, whether they're perceived or real. This is important. These relationships promote a sense of grounding for the healthy establishment of your own sense of self. These relationships provide belonging. Now, Brené Brown, everyone's favorite, says, True belonging is the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in both being a part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. That sense of belonging to somebody or feeling like you belong in something, there's something called a secure base. This is an attachment theory. They allow you, this person being attached to someone, allows you to explore the world, risk, develop a sense of mastery or competency. These relationships provide that sense of home from which you can discover everything. These relationships help you create a model in your mind also about how bonds and connections are made, some good, some bad. They provide, like in a good test of whether or not you have a secure base, is the acronym R, A-R-E. You can ask the question, are they there for you to help you come up with this? Do they provide A, accessibility? Do they provide B, or R, I should say, (laughs) responsiveness? And E, emotional engagement? It's kind of a big deal, hey? Like, we need each other, apparently. Even science says that. So what happens when things go wrong? Because we are talking about suicide. Separation or disconnection, whether it's emotional, physical, or social, leads to distress within our system. It's all connected. When an important bond or relationship is broken, it can be rather traumatizing, bringing a heightened sense of vulnerability and helplessness. It's amazing what happens. If you've ever been with somebody who's broken up from a really important relationship, they forget to know, to like, know how to tie their shoe. Like, it's just so profound how it's all connected. So just to add one more intricacy to this distress in relationship, it may not always pertain to a parent, a child, a friend, a spouse. There are three aspects of relationships in our lives where distress can show up. Your relationship to yourself. Who do you see yourself as? Where, does, where, do, you, where do you see your spirituality? Who do you believe you are? Your relationship to others, who you are with others, friends, peers, and your relationship to the world, your purpose, your sense of being, who you are. Disconnection or separation can happen in any of those relationships. So remember, this is about a felt sense, your meaning in that connection. And the fun thing about us humans, like different than any other animal, is that we can make things real in our mind without them actually happening, you know, stress, worry We're worried about the future things to come as opposed to like what's actually happening in the moment. But it also comes to the fear of loss or perceived disconnection. We're so simple and yet so complex. So when separation or disconnect happens in secure or healthy relationships and those secure attachments, you, you make a bid to connect. You're like, hey, can we talk about this? You reconnect. But when there's not a secure attachment, we question where we stand And we begin to ask, can I count on them? Can I count on myself? Am I worthy of their love? Am I worthy of any love? I'll let you explore attachment theory if you really want to independently, so your psych lesson's over. But here's where I'm going with this. Without a secure attachment or a secure base, whether it's perceived or real, whether it's visible or hidden, Without that felt sense of belonging, disconnect can easily grow from a disruption in that relationship, whether it's with yourself, God, others, the world, and move towards isolation. Maybe people begin to pull away or detach. This could be physical or emotional. Do they share their emotions with anyone? Maybe their narratives change. Self-talk has a more negative language about themselves or about life. This is where you might hear the words, or if they feel that they're not worthy, why am I here? What's my purpose? They may feel that they've done something irreparable, and the language is, no one will ever forgive me. If they've gotten themselves in over their heads, you might hear the words, I'm overwhelmed, I'm too much, I'm just a burden to everybody. This is where people conclude that removing themselves altogether is the only solution. And this is where I push that connection, reconnection, is the greatest healer. In safe relationships, you find value and belonging. Your identity grows and flourishes. In safe relationships, you find vulnerability are accepted despite your faults or what you've done. In safe relationships, you build resilience and the ability to ask for help you can receive. I, don't know. <laughs> I got capped. <laughs> you can receive <laughs> receive support whether it's internal or external and share the load. We are meant to carry one another's burden. And despite how our current culture rewards the I did it myself mentality and encourages independence, this is not actually healthy for how we were created because we are created to work together, to reciprocate, to bond. So lastly, There's this incredible relationship resource led by husband and wife do, if you've heard of them, they're phenomenal, the Gottmans. In this day and age, where we're always staring at a screen when we're in conversation, they challenge you to turn towards when you're communicating. How we engage physically with someone to build that felt sense shares, I value you, I see you, and what you're saying. The act of effective listening, communicating, intention like intentionally building that secure relationship feeds and soothes us to the core of who we are one of my most favorite quotes is a quote by david w osberger and he says being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person they are almost indistinguishable that being said and before i hand the mic to lauren for some more practical application here let's go back to the question of why Why do people consider suicide or experience suicidal ideation? So pay attention to the language here. Here's what Google told me. Lack of social support, feeling isolated, lonely, misunderstood, difficult maintaining relationships, decreased quality of life due to increased stress, trauma history, a loss of significant relationship, financial troubles, job loss stuck on repetitive negative feelings, feeling like a burden, no sense of belonging, identity confusion, purposelessness, or a feeling marginalized. We are wired to connect and to bond. We are created for a felt sense in community. And connection, whether it's the cells healing a wound or humans sharing a life, we are homo vinculum.
0: Good morning, everybody. I'm just going to get a little bit more cuddly with Ed here because I can't see my humans on the left side. (laughs) Um, There we go. Ah, Thank you so much to Charlene for highlighting the importance of connection and what it means to have strong bonds as humans. Um, I'm going to start off today with maybe a little bit of not so fun fact. Um, Did you know by the time we have finished our talk, there will be five people in Canada today that have already died by suicide. By the end of the day, there will be another seven more. These are pretty chilling statistics, and yet every single one of you in this room has the two most powerful tools to prevent suicide. And I'm wondering if you can take a guess at what those are. It's okay, I assumed it would be a little quiet. (laughs) I'll give you a hint. We've got number one right here, and we've got number two right here. So that's right, by the uh, power of talking and listening, we are the best defense against suicide. To illustrate this point, I'd like to tell you a story about a 17-year-old boy I'll call Jack, um, who I met while working in community mental health support. When I was first introduced to this young man, he didn't know what to expect from our services. Um, But he expressed that he wanted someone, just anyone that he could talk to. Within seconds of the usual pleasantries, the hi, hellos, um, Jack stopped me to ask if he could ask for my opinion. I said, of course. Um, I would do my best to help him with whatever was on his mind. Well, Jack had spent a lot of time alone recently. At 17, he had escaped very abusive parents. He suffered from physical injuries from them, which affected his mobility and caused him chronic pain. He rarely attended school due to bullying, and he was often ex- exhausted from the child welfare system, constantly kind of throwing him around. He'd been feeling hopeless, and in his search for answers, he had um, stumbled across some pro-suicide websites. He asked me, Lauren, when I read some of the websites, <sighs> he said that if I kill myself, they say that Jesus will forgive me. I'll have friends, and I'll be immediately accepted into heaven, and I won't have to endure this pain anymore. Do you believe that that's what will happen if I die? And so I was like, whew, it's a heavy one. Um, I sat there for a moment, I had to think. And I said, you know what, Jack? I'm gonna be honest with you. I actually don't know what happens after we die. I can't, I can't say for sure. But I'm really worried about your safety right now. And I'd love to know if you could tell me what's been causing your pain, if you're open to that. At that moment, Jack and I were no longer strangers. He told me about the terrible circumstances that he had been living, living in, and I validated his pain. I asked him straightforward questions about his plan to harm himself, and he gave me some trust to develop a safety plan together. We discussed some community resources he could explore and how he could accomplish his goals for the future. By the end of the conversation, Jack felt heard, supported, and pretty hopeful to make some changes in his life. And I felt such gratitude for being a part of why Jack chose to live another day. I've been pretty fortunate to work in suicide prevention and with people like Jack for several years. Suicide prevention became important to me when I lost my uncle and when I learned that over 6,100 people in British Columbia took their lives between 2008 to 2018 with more than triple that number of attempts and I would say that's a small estimate. But I was fascinated by this because I thought, considering the beauty and the opportunity we have in this province, there's been a silent but deadly threat to our population's mental health. That threat, as Charlene has mentioned, is isolation. And it became even more prominent as COVID occurred. Death by suicide numbers rose by 10% during that time. And it was more apparent that isolation was reaping havoc on our quality of life. However, something extraordinary came from the pandemic. I love this. And that was the realization that mental health is very, very important, and we need to be talking about it. Specifically, the more that we talk about suicide, the less likely someone was to die from it. In 2021 and 2022, the Interior Crisis Line, a free 24-hour mental health support line, took 38,000 calls from our community. Of those calls, 96% of those calls, uh, 96% of the people who use those um, lines reported they felt encouraged by the empathy they received from volunteers. And only 2% of those calls resulted in interventions. People who used the service knew that they could talk about the issues that they were facing confidentially and with someone whose purpose was to support them in their time of need. In the conversations I had during those years as a mental health support worker, I learned that it's very rare that people actually want to die by suicide. They just really want the pain to stop. This pain often surrounds feelings of hopelessness, isolation, loneliness, um, and feeling like a burden to others. When considering suicide, an individual may think of death as a friend, and maybe their only escape from intense agony and despair. In Jack's case, death brought him closer to comfort, support, and Jesus. But as evidence shows, empathetic conversation is our best defense against emotional bleeding. There's a common misconception that if we ask someone in emotional pain if they're considering suicide, that person will be insulted or embarrassed and they won't wanna talk about it. However, nine times out of 10, people feel very relieved that someone else asked them if they are considering suicide. It's a brave question to ask. Um, People want someone to help them through, uh, sort them through their thoughts and help them talk about the most painful things in their life. So some examples of things to say are, are you considering suicide right now? Straight up, using those words. Or have you been considering harming yourself? That can all start the conversation. Then what we want to do is we really want to validate the intensity of the discomfort someone might be feeling. So you could say things like, it sounds like you're in so much pain right now. And I hear how hopeless this feels for you in this moment. Then we want to normalize and humanize their pain. We, everybody in this room has had dark thoughts. We all feel them. So you can say things like, this amount of stress would be hard for anybody to cope with and you aren't alone in feeling this way. And then we wanna ask some very important key questions. We want to know, do you have a plan? Do you have the means to harm yourself? And have you done anything to harm yourself today? If they answer yes to any of these questions, that's where you use your power of connection and you reach out to the resources that can help you. I encourage you to call 911 or our local crisis line to make a plan plan for the next steps of safety. No one must navigate these conversations alone. We need our community. And because you spent time validating this person's feelings, they're going to know that you care. They're going to know that you are worried about your safety, and because of that, they're going to be more likely to accept help from others. Regardless of whether an intervention is needed or not, you want to reinforce that person continues to make self cho- or safe choices. They talk to you about it. That's a safe choice, that's great. So saying things like, I'm so glad that you opened up to me today, and it's so good that you asked for help are some key ones that you can really drive home for that. Because Jack reached out for help, we were able to come up with a plan to keep him safe without needing an intervention. And although I may have helped to save him, he actually gave me a gift of being a part of his life, even just for a short period of time. And that feeds my need for human connection. And now, I'd like to pass our next part of our conversation to our dearest Ed Weiss, who many of us know is the king of connection around these parts.
3: <laughs> hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, a lot of you are really old. And, uh, and so that means you have children, and it means you have grandchildren. And when we talk about suicide, think about them. By the way, your face tells, you, tells the world you're open for business. You might want to think about that. <laughs> um, have you phoned your children just to say, I care? Have you called them to say you're proud of them? And you think, well, they know that. How will they know that if you don't tell them? Have you sat with your little ones and... And, and, and validated them and appreciated them. Can you see their beauty and can you mirror that back to them so that they can find joy and hope in this world? These are such practical little things, but they will change the world around you. We, we, Mother Teresa said this, she said, we, we, "We all of us can only do small things with great love. We can do small things, with, and sometimes just stopping long enough to say, how are you? You look sad. Is there anything I can do to encourage you? How are you? You sound sad. Is there anything I can do? Uh, those small things go a long way. I'm gonna invite Keith back up.
1: Thanks, Charlene. Thank, thanks for uh, sharing. So we're we're receiving some text. So we just invite you to uh, uh, to send in your text messages, um, and uh, and we want to ask our, our team here. And thanks for for leading us uh, in that, um, you know, a, a theological overview, a practical kind of view of what's taking place, and then a charge, like a you know, an, an invitation to be people uh, of hope. And and so I'm I'm thankful for that. Um, A few questions that have come in that I'm just going to start to to navigate, and whoever wants to take them, can take them. Uh, And so the first one's an important one. Uh, It says, what should I do if I'm having suicidal thoughts?
0: It's funny, and I know this sounds weird, guys, but when I was talking to Charlene and Ed, I'm like, I love talking about suicide, and they both looked at me, and they're like, what? Like, how? But I think I love talking about it because there is so much hope there. Um, So, one of the things that I would encourage that if someone is feeling suicide thoughts, if you're thinking about suicidal thoughts, reach out for help, anybody that's around you. If you can talk to them and say, hey, I'm not feeling good, and and I'm experiencing these thoughts right now. It's important. They need to know that there's someone... You need to know that there's someone out there that can help you. If they're getting dark and you're not too sure, who you'd like to talk to if someone doesn't feel safe at the moment. It's okay to reach out to the local crisis line. They've got an anonymous um, sort of line on there, and you can talk to anybody on there. You don't have to say your name or any information. And you can just talk to someone who knows how to navigate these difficult conversations. Um, And it's also okay, too, to reach out to therapists, counselors, pastors, people in your community that you just feel safe with. Um, Anybody that's around that you feel like you have some sort of connection with, although they may not necessarily know what to say, it's okay to reach out and see if you can look out for that help together.
1: Great. Um, I'm going to read this it comes. It says, studies have shown that adoptees have a four times higher rate of dying by suicide than non-adoptees. How does this relate to attachment despite an adoptee being welcomed into a loving family?
2: I think I think it comes back to that felt sense, right like there's there's obviously when, when adoption happens, there's a separation and then a, an attempt to reconnect in a different family. There's probably going to be a lot of like deep historical aspects of, of life and questioning, belonging, history, um, that's, that's inevitable, I think, in some way, but it's, it's a matter of, of learning and, and I think through, through work with probably a, a healthy therapist would, would really help understand and unpack that sense of who are you now, like where are you now, um, and, and be a bit more future and fo- um, focused on where you're going in life and, and the identity that you've grown into and stepped into. So it, it does, like I said, come back to that felt sense of, of questioning, but there's probably some trauma in that process that, that probably needs some unpacking.
3: Yeah.
1: Okay, uh, this is a question related to grief. So is there a connection between grief and the desire uh, for death? How do you help people navigate grief?
3: Um, absolutely, there is a connection. They're very closely related because uh, if you're grieving the loss of a person, grieving the loss of a relationship, uh, I don't know of any pain that is deeper, more difficult than heart pain. And, 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 and then this desire to get rid of the pain. The other thing is that um, hopelessness you know, the hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? That's what the scriptures say. And um, where there's hopelessness, there's no future. And where there's no future, then why stick around? Um, and so they're connected. That's why we, you never go through grief alone. Um, uh, for those of you who are around somebody who is grieving, let me give you a really, really great little adage. Um, the key to grief is you have to say hello to say goodbye, which means that if I've lost a person in my life, I need to talk about that person. That's how you say hello. I need to talk about how wonderful they were. I need to talk about what an idiot they were. I need to talk about kind of their, their quirkiness and their funness and their annoyingness and their beauty. And, and as you do that, it's a little bit of uh, what we call exposure therapy, where you're, you're, you're just allowing yourself more and more and more to be close to the person so that you can let go of them. Um, that's for free. No charge for that.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm wondering, uh, so, I mean, obviously an important uh, part of uh, the, the resources uh, for people who have suicidal thoughts or ideation uh, is to connect with a professional who knows how to navigate that well. Uh, but what role does what role does a church play uh, in in this? What are some of the key things that we can can do as a community of faith?
3: Um, if this is a safe place, it's a place of sanctuary, which means if it is, I'm I'm trusting it is. It means that I can come healthy or broken. And, and somebody will wrap their arms around me. Um, and I think that that's the key is that, and, and you don't need a, a building to have sanctuary. You need people who can see you and can hold on to you and to journey with you through dark times. The church is absolutely the first place, I think, that you go when you are hurting. Um, I, I, I know what it's like to be clinically depressed. I was clinically depressed for six years. I wasn't suicidal, but I welcomed a bus. My internal pain was so severe that I just wanted it to go away. And, uh, and I was a pastor. you think I could find one person other than my wife to give me a hug and say, you know what, it looks like you're, you're, you know, you're not open for business, you know. Um, I couldn't get that. Not at church, I couldn't get that. And that was really hard for me. In fact, I would get stuff like, the joy of the Lord is your strength, dude. You know, I'd, and I'd say, shut up, dude. You know, and, you know walk in my shoes, dude. Um, and, uh, it, and that wasn't helpful. What was helpful was somebody to say, I'm sorry you're hurting, man. Uh, if you need to talk, uh, I'm, I'm there for you. Sanctuary.
1: Yeah, great. Um, question I am uncomfortable talking about suicide with others. How can I move past the, the discomfort to speak about it with, with other people?
0: Here, here, here. Is it, oh, okay. okay? Yeah, <laughs> <great>. <laughs> um Yeah, talking about suicide, like I said, I'm so comfortable about it because I talk about it so often, and I think that's a part of becoming comfortable talking about suicide, is to use it in your language a little bit more. So today, I know afterwards everybody's, you know, probably going to get together and talk for a little bit. Try to use the word suicide in one of your sentences at least once or twice today. which sounds weird, but we want to get comfortable using that word. When we want to talk about it, if it's hard to talk about with our friends and family, like I said, the suicide hotline or the crisis line are are great. Um, For one of the numbers, it's 1-800-SUICIDE, so pretty easy to remember, which is great. Um, But we want that exposure because as much as talking about suicide is really hard, like I said, it's it's quite normal for people to feel really, really difficult things. and one of the best things that you can do is someone is talking to you about suicide and you don't know what to say, that's where you use your tool and you listen. You ask questions over and over again. What does that feel like for you? Oh, that sounds hard. What does that look like? Oh, that sounds even worse. That sounds really stressful. Can you show me like what that meant for you? Who in your life is important to you that you can talk to? What do you find coming up in the future that would be something exciting for you? So there's a lot of different ways about talking about it where we don't have to say the words, but I encourage you to try and use that word just to make it a little bit more comfortable um, for you to talk about if someone does come to talk to you about it.
1: Yeah, great. Um, I, I remember the, the first time that I took the risk uh, and, and asked someone directly, are you thinking about suicide? Uh, and because uh, I was expecting, I didn't know what the response would, would have been. Uh, and it was a very natural response from the person. It was almost like, thanks for asking. And i probably a- asked that question 50 times since. Uh, and every time, the response has never been one of weirdness. Mm-hmm. It's been one of, hey, thanks for naming. And oftentimes, it's like, no, not, that's not really where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so sometimes we, we just gotta go there, even though it, it, it is uncomfortable, but it's maybe even more uncomfortable for us. That's probably the reality. Uh, so, I, I want to honour this question, because it, it's a good one, but it is a little kind of... It's connected. It's about medical assistance in dying, and mm-hmm. so I'm not anticipating that the panel wants to answer the question, but I do want to ask it, and I have a comment, mm-hmm. but you can answer it if you'd like, so that's the point. <laughs> so it says, can the panel talk about made medical assistance in dying, and if it's possible for suicide to equate compassion when someone is terminally ill and in pain? This is a, this is a big question. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm happy to kind of this a bit, but I'm also happy to open the the conversation.
3: I'll start it, you finish it. (laughs) It's not a simple yes and no. It's very complex. Um, Because we've learned to live very long, medicine has kept us uh, alive for a long, long time. And sometimes, past our expiry date, um, is where I'm going to start, and now I'll just hand it to Keith.
1: <laughs> so, because medical assistance in dying is such a big topic, uh, you've just selected next year one of next year's Let's Talk series. Um, but, but let me say this. Uh, when our first Let's Talk series that we did, we, we tackled medical assistance in dying, uh, that was back in 2016. So, you can access that on our website. Uh, though the conversation has changed and shifted uh, in those years, uh, and so there is more to say, uh, more to navigate, and so. But let me just encourage you to check out the website, and you can, uh, you can, uh, you can uh, use that as a resource. There's multiple resources online there for your own learning. Um, uh, and I, I've said it out loud, so I, I don't know if I'm committed to doing that next year, but uh, I think it would be a good one for us to re-engage. So. Uh, so bless you because i know that there's been a number of other questions that have come in about made so um i'm happy to have that so uh, another question and and uh, as we kind of um uh, draw things uh, to a close maybe here in a, just a little bit uh, it says historically the church has said that people who die by suicide go to hell uh, and then it asks what is mca's stance on this uh, and so i'm happy to a direct question i'm happy to answer directly but you know before I do answer kind of the MCA piece. Is there something that you want to address in that? I love the way that you shared the story, like your answer. You answered uh, in some ways the question for us already.
0: Um, I just also wanted to go back to made really quick. Yeah. Um, just with that as well too. I don't have a you know a correct answer for it, but I just always go from if you're wondering about made, which I have you know clients that I speak to about made quite often. Um, just be curious. Just ask questions. If there's someone in your life that is considering that, ask more and more and more. Just try to understand. Yeah, yeah.
1: that's good. Okay, you want Ed? Did you want to say something?
3: I'll let you handle that yeah, one. That's, sure, uh, yeah, sure. that's uh, yeah, that's that's sticky.
1: Yeah. No, so I mean, it, the the question revolves around what's MCA's stance on this. Uh, I I think that. To make a statement that someone who, who dies by suicide goes to hell is... Uh, I mean, we have to ask, where, where are you getting that from? I think the reality is, we don't know. Um, uh, and the reality is, people who have died by suicide leave a wake of destruction. Um, I had a conversation with a dear person this past week who shared her story, uh, and really spoke about an event of losing a brother, uh, by suicide that really unraveled the whole family uh, and they've been living in the wake of that ever since and so There are practical outworkings um, But when it comes to the theological position, we just don't know uh, But what we do know is that there is a Lord of life There is a God who deeply loves people We, we have a God who, who made us to connect it's, it's, it's embedded into our DNA. It's, it's in the very physics of the world. At the center of the relationship is, uh, or at the univer- center of the universe is a relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, to be made in his, his image means that we're made to connect. Uh, and so I think when the topic of, of suicide and kind of salvation or, or hell or whatever comes up, we need to say we don't know. But what we do know is that there's a God who, who loves life, and He loves you, uh, and let's figure this out together. Um, I was asked the same question that you were asked uh, in the scenario you presented by somebody, and that's a tough question to be asked. Uh, but I, I found that saying, we don't know, but here's what we know, uh, is a helpful way of navigating that. So I, I hope that kind of gives some, uh, some, uh, some some context. Great. Well. I think that uh, we'll um, uh, will will maybe call it there. I'm going to pray. I'd love to pray for us if that's okay, uh, and um, uh, and then I'll uh, I'll send us out uh, as we as we close. Jesus, we want to thank you that you uh, that you have made us in your image. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, you you hold all things together. Uh, and it, at the very core of who you are is, is this relationship of love. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, even in this room right now, that we would, uh, we would be a participant in that relationship of love. We know that through Jesus, your work on the cross, you've invited us into the very center of that circle. Um, you've connected us. You're the ground of our being. And so, Lord, as we, we think about this topic of suicide, to be a, a people of hope or to for those who are struggling, we pray that this connection that we need would permeate every relationship we have, and that, Jesus, you would minister your grace and hope to those who are hurting. Uh, Jesus, we pray that you would bless therapists like the three here today and the many uh, who are in sitting in the pews today and, and those across our city. We pray that you would bless them with wisdom to do their work. And we pray, Jesus, for, for um, yeah, just for our community of faith, that we would speak openly and hold out the hope that Jesus has to connect us, not simply to the Father, but also to one another. And Jesus, for those in despair, we know that you're always most present with those who who need the most help. And so we pray you would attend to, to, to their needs. And we offer ourselves as your people to be your hands and feet of love and connection. And so we pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.